Hey there, it's Tyson Sharp here. And if you're looking to increase sales and profit with authenticity, with transparency and vulnerability, this is the episode for you. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Awaken Your Business podcast. My name's Tyson Sharp. And if it's also your mission to heighten consciousness, yes, you are a light worker. And it's in this podcast where you execute that heart's mission by integrating your spiritual and business growth. This is what I call stepping into the role of the heart-centered CEO. This is the version of you who knows the numbers, you know how to grow an audience, you know how to create more impact and more income. But every business strategy is done through the filter of love, compassion, consciousness, and contribution. So when you're ready, take a deep breath, and I'll see you on the inside. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Awaken Your Business podcast. Yes, it is Tyson Sharp, and I have Todd Palmer here for an amazing interview. Obviously, if you're growing an online business, it's in yours, your businesses, your clients' best interest for you to be making more sales, making more sales in a way that's aligned. Now, in this interview, Todd Palmer is going to explain exactly how to increase sales in a way that is authentic, in a way that is transparent, and in a way that is vulnerable. And isn't that what we all want? We all want to grow and expand in a way that's aligned, in a way that is uh, true to who and what we are. So who is Todd Palmer? Let me just read you a little bit about his bio. So Todd Palmer went from being a struggling entrepreneur with $600,000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 a record of six times as one of America's fastest growing companies. Today, he's a collaborative business advisor and CEO of Extraordinary Advisors. And Todd helps his clients not only ditch their comfort zone, but also dive into their failures and reframe their mindset to be more authentic, transparent, and vulnerable to effect real change. Now, if that's you, you're going to love this interview. It's very free-flowing. It's very relaxed. But what you're going to learn is not only how to increase sales by being more authentic and transparent and vulnerable, But we dive in deep in terms of leadership, what it really means if you are to grow a business and be a leader for a team or for a tribe or for a community, whatever it is, to really step in and have that idea of what a leadership, what leadership is all about and it's from all within. And also we're going to dive in deep in terms of intentional mindset, having an intentional mindset rather than an expectation, an expectation mindset. You are going to love this. Feel free to take plenty of notes because uh, Todd Palmer's, as you'll find out, has gone through the ringer, has learned all throughout his failures and throughout his successes, and now he's passing on some deep, deep wisdom to you. So hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Take plenty of notes. Get a lot from this, and uh, I'll see you in there. Here's Todd Palmer. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Awaken Your Business podcast. It is a pleasure to have Todd Palmer here. It's we, we got on a call a few weeks ago, of course, and it's always inspiring to hear how people have grown their businesses and the things they've gone through. And I think if you're building your business, especially going into 2021, it's it's always not only inspiring, but motivating to to hear the the tools, tactics, strategies of, of what someone went through in the, in the hard work and hustle and then obviously to building a big business. And I think with us really growing on social media, with us getting outside and launching new programs, new products for the new year, um, that pickup of inspiration allows ideas to flow. And so that's why I'd love to have 
Todd on here to talk all about his experience and everything that he's been able to go through in what, 25 years of entrepreneurship. Incredible. Yes. Incredible. I've, yes. Hardly been, I've hardly been alive that long, but I'd love to, uh, I'd love to give you the, the floor for, for a bit and just share with the audience. What is it? Uh, what is it you're all about and how did you get to, to this point where you are right now? Uh, so, yeah, so I was a, an active CEO for about 25 years. Um, I started my business. It was a recruiting company back in the stone ages of 1997. And um, that, that business has served me well as a teaching platform for a lot of highs and lows. I made a ton of mistakes, made a lot of missteps, had some successes. And now um, with my current business, Extraordinary Advisors, I, I work with entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and, and executive leaders to helping them get unstuck to clear their mindset so that they can, can get rid of the chaos and crisis around imposter syndrome, around um, the itty bitty shitty committee in their head that holds them back. Um, as well as, you know, once they get their mind cleared, they have a path and a direction they really think they can go towards in creating that life by design, not just a business by design. Then we put in the practical tools to help them, you know, achieve things that, you know, they never thought possible. I've got a client right now. I just talked to him this afternoon. His revenue in the two years of working together has more than doubled. And his profits have grown almost 600% in the two years we've worked with them. And he's working about three and a half days a week. So he's shifted his mind. We've put the tools in place. I keep coaching him to remind him that it's, it's not a sprint, but a journey to where he wants to go. And like a lot of your listeners, he started out as a, as a one or two man band. And now he's got a staff of, of more than that, but he's still, we constantly remember where he came from, where he go, where he got started. And that was, you know, by himself in his basement. Awesome. A lot of people are in their basements. A lot of people are in their bedrooms, you know, a lot of people are just on their laptop, on the couch, just, just starting something that's of their own and, and something that is aligned with their heart. And I think that's what I love about this entrepreneurial journey is that whatever's flowing for us in terms of this contribution that we have to get out to the world, uh, it, it really just business is, is the tool to spread that to the masses, right? And not only to do that, but overcome the, the obstacles along the way. So let me ask you in terms of, you mentioned imposter syndrome. Why do you think that particular pattern exists? Why do you think it's so common for people to feel like, oh my God, who am I to be doing this? What, mm -hmm. What's been your experience? You know, I think if you talk to 25 entrepreneurs, you might get 25 different stories. But I think there is a common thread. And the common thread is, is our inner self-talk in how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves fitting into the world. And often I think that goes back to how we were raised, our childhood environment, our parents or whomever our caregivers were, um, where we were schooled, how we were taught to as, as students, uh, athletics, uh, et cetera. I, I know for me, my imposter syndrome w w flared up because my, my business, you know, I started 10 years, I started in 97, by 2006, you know, You'd think after being in business 10 years, I'd, I'd, I'd have quote unquote figured it out. I, I hadn't. And I, I wasn't telling anybody how bad things were in my business. And I wasn't showing up and being vulnerable and authentic. And that business got $600,000 into debt. And I was two months away from running out of all of my money. I was going to lose my house. My son and I was a single parent at the time. We were going to be homeless. And I had to deal with my imposter syndrome first and foremost. So I avoided getting help. I avoided telling the truth. I would just show up at parties or show up at you know, networking events and tell everybody how great things were because they were telling me how great things were. So if they were great and I didn't want to show up and not be great, 
And I'm wondering, wow, what has everybody else figured out? I must really be stupid. I really suck. And so that would just perpetuate it. And then I'd go to my office and I'd feel like I had to have all the answers for everyone's problems all the time. And I didn't have all the answers and I didn't want to tell them I didn't have all the answers because I thought that would make me look like a weak leader. So finally, in September of 2006, I hired a coach and he helped kind of deconstruct that negative loop in my head around, um, you know, everybody else has it figured out and I don't. Uh, everybody else in this room or everybody else in this, is this CEO program deserves to be here. And I got, you know, I snuck in, I got lucky as well as, you know, how to deal with my staff. And he really helped me start working on the doom loop in my head so that my imposter syndrome, while it will always be with me is no longer driving my business. I just have to sometimes listen to it chirping in the background. Yeah. Well, what was the decision when you, when you said I wasn't accepting any help? You know, I just uh, I was in my my own my own lane. What made you sort of reach out and hire a coach at that point? Because what I was doing when I started the business that helped me get me off the ground that it was working for me was no longer working for me. And as I as I thought back on it, you know, when we start as as entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, we have to be rugged individualists a lot of the time. We have to do HR and sales and ops and accounting and all these different departments fall typically to one person. And from the way I was raised, that served me super well. I grew up in a house where, um, you know, at the age of five, I, I had the, the terrible tragedy of my father passing away. So my father passes away. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She went into the workforce, so she left. So my dad was gone. My mom was gone. We had, I, my parents hired, or my mom hired a, a caregiver, which was fine. My older brother went, to, went off to university. My older sister got married and moved across the country. So within four months, my four primary caregivers were all gone. So what does that tell me? The only person I can rely on, the only consistent in my life is me. That's great when you're starting a company. The only person I can rely on is me. I can do that. I can sell. I can do ops. I can make sure payroll gets out. I can make sure bills get paid, HR compliance, all those things. Until I wanted to scale, until I wanted to go from a solopreneur, a couple of people, to really build the business. And I had you know, 25, 26 people at one time working for me, and I would be very protective of things and I wouldn't trust easily or I would try, I would, I wouldn't delegate. I would advocate. So I would just give it to, to Tyson and say, here, just do it. I wouldn't inspect what I asked you to do. There were no KPIs. There were no measurable. I didn't know enough. So when you'd let me down, I'd be very, my, my feelings would be hurt. You know, I'd be upset, which took me back to the pain I felt as a child. So it was a very cyclical situation until finally I kind of like snapped out of it. Coach is telling me, like, you can do things differently. You can handle things differently. Here's trust the numbers, trust the margins, trust the revenue, tr trust the KPIs, watch the, the, the data, make data-driven decisions, not emotion-based decisions, so that you can keep the business growing and going for, and eventually somehow get out of the $600,000 in debt that you're in. Mm, powerful. And what was the, what was the change? And, and not only what was the change, where did it lead, lead you to and, and where are you at now? Oh, gosh. So the, chain, the change started with inside-out leadership. The, co the coach started working on me and how I showed up and how I dealt with my imposter syndrome and how I had to talk through things and how I had to practice gratitude and appreciation, not bitterness and resentment. I, had, I, had the, I wanted to change my exterior business. I had to change my internal workings. Part of that process was to recognize and realize that I had allowed toxicity to live within my company. A dysfunction to live within my culture. So the turning point was September 9th, 2006, when I fired my entire company and I started over. And at that point, we put in a model where we, we worked on the mindset. So my coach and I would talk all the time. What was my mindset? What was working? What wasn't? 
If something wasn't working, then what we would do is we create an intention around what we did want. So I'm $600,000 in debt, for example. My intention was I've got to get out of debt. This is not good. My kid and I are going to be homeless. Lots of bells and whistles. There's 600,000 members of my negative committee meeting in my head. So we created an intention, but not an expectation of how to do it. That created, opened up my creativity. And what expectations win-lose, where, where intentionality has a lot of creativity, a lot of room to breathe. I started hiring more pe new people. So it changed how I hired people. I hired people for their DNA, not for their resume, that they fit my core values. Trained them how to do it. We tried a bunch of different things. So mindset, intention, not expectation. Pivoting into strategy around that intention of getting out of debt. I got to hire different people. Now we got we to iterate and try a bunch of different things. Fail forward. Keep what works. Get rid of what doesn't. Come back tomorrow and try it again. We used to have this award we call the Fail Forward Award. For the person who failed the most that week, they got the award, not the person who had the most success. Because the person who was stumbling around trying new things was the, the big learner in the office. So it was a lot of those things over the course of time we put in place. Fast forward 10 years later, we paid off all the debt in full. Very proud of that. It was the, a big rock to climb. Um, and we hockey sticked the business and reached that point with the recruiting space where we found that inflection where there's an increased demand and a diminished supply. In that space, I could charge more. And I can get paid faster, which brought down the debt. And we made the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing companies six times. So got out of debt, made the list. Now I, I work with leaders and coaches and solopreneurs to help them do some of the things that we did back in the day. Crazy. Awesome. How do you feel now? Now that you're out of debt, you're moving forward. No doubt the fears, doubts, and frustrations of the next level are, are always coming up. But what is your overall feeling, attitude, mindset towards business now? You know, it's a great question. So I still use a coach. And what I've learned, especially during these you know, periods of COVID, my, my main platform to grow my coaching practice was to go speak from stage, to, to come into to association meetings, entrepreneur, you know, EO, entrepreneur organization meetings, things like that, to, to give the speech, tell the stories, and, and see if I, my story landed with anybody to get potentially new coaching clients. Well, COVID took away all my travel, all my speeches, all my appearances. And so... I made the decision with the help of my current coach, which is a different coach than I used to turn the business around, to decide that for me, this is just for me, the COVID was happening for me, not to me. So because it's happening for me, what can I learn from it? Well, my, my purpose of being a coach is to improve lives. And that's my why. And, and the, I worked with Simon Sinek a dozen years ago. He was very helpful in helping me figure out my two words, improve lives. Thought to myself, how can I improve lives from my home? How can I improve lives via technology? How can I improve lives? So I just started volunteering everywhere. So within 67 days, I talked to 42 different CEOs, talking them off the ledge, getting them unstuck around chaos and crisis. A lot of them had not been through some of the things I'd been through. They, they hadn't had to turn a company around like I did. They hadn't had to deal with the recession. They hadn't had to deal with things being thrust down upon them from an exterior world like a pandemic versus maybe internally bad decisions like I had to deal with. But the, the mindset were very similar as well as me. I'm in big trouble. I'm, I'm going to close my doors. I'm never going to survive this. So I did a lot of that. I spoke around the globe from my living room. I spoke in you know, the United States and Canada and Mexico and Australia and uh, it, so it, over in like Germany, in, in England, in Malaysia, all of helping entrepreneurs, helping leaders get unstuck around this, the, the experiences they were having. Amazing. Let me ask you, in terms of that shift, what were some of the what were some of the beliefs that you had to remove and, and shift in terms of you were in debt, 
you were worried about going homeless, obviously, obviously for your child, but, but for yourself as well, there would have been some beliefs that were noticed and removed and instilled. What, what was that like for you? Were there any particular beliefs that, that stand out when I ask you that? Oh, for sure. They're, they're, a lot of them were inaccurate. <laughs> so that's what really resonates with me. Yeah. So I thought, for example, my identity as a CEO was tied to my business. If my business was successful, by, by proxy, I was a success. That's not really true. The, you know, we make the Inc. 5,000 six times. My friend's like, oh my gosh, you've, you've written your ticket. You should be like uh, thrilled over the moon. I'm like, eh. I mean, yeah, it was nice and it's a fun party to go to and it's nice to get the recognition, but it didn't fill the emptiness within. So the second recognition I had during these changes in times was um, I had a lot of emptiness inside and that, that required me to do inner work, not just work on my business. And I found it was really fascinating. The better I worked on my internal issues, the better leader I was, the better, the more I dug deeper, the more authentic, transparent, and vulnerable I became with myself with my staff, with my peer network, the better leader I became. The business did better. So again, my, my identity tied to the exterior, not the interior. The interior needed to be worked on to fix the exterior in the business. Um, and, and I think you know, another thing that just comes to mind as I'm, I'm pondering this was that you know, it, it's so much of my, my thought process was very much that of a competitive athlete. And I just had to win at everything. I had to win at everything. My, my definition of success was to make a, to create a $20 million company. That was the only definition of success. So it's like playing a sport saying, unless I win the championship of the world, I'm a failure. That's a lot of pressure and it's not accurate. And I kept chasing 20 million. So I would do bad deals to get the revenue, not the margin. It's insane. What I had to ultimately figure out was, and re was redefine what success meant to me. And it moved from being $20 million to a much more holistic model for me. So success is really, and I heard this from Tony Robbins, success is doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want to do it as often as possible. So in theory, I, I could define our conversation today as a successful use of my time because I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm enjoying your company. I'm getting energized about it. I'm telling myself that someone will hear this. It may improve their lives. It, it, it meets all of my, my requirements versus what can I sell? What can I buy? Who can I impress? How, how can I make the, my next big deal happen? That didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And most people define success as waking up, as, as Tony Robbins says all the time. You know, sometimes you have some people who have their success as I need to have this amount of body fat. I need to have this amount of, uh, you know, money in the bank. I need to, you know, never yell at my kids, all those different things. Or you have the person who wakes up and says, you know what, today's a good day because I, I wake up, I look at my feet and I see that I'm above ground. There you go. And, and it's, a different, it's a different criteria of success. But one of them is allows a, a resourcefulness, a joy of life, a bit of, uh, a bit of grace that flows in, right? And if you, when you have that criteria of success, as you say, it takes the pressure off. You don't have this, you don't have, although pressure can be, uh, can aid you in some ways, a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, have this pressure of identity. It's like, yes, I'm not this, then I'm useless. If my business right. isn't successful in the way that my mind thinks it should, then I myself am a failure. And oh my gosh, I, I, that, right? I deal with that all the time with my clients. I've got a client who, 
who's so wrapped up. Like if I don't make a certain dollar amount, my, my family's not going to be okay. My wife's not going to love me. If I can't buy her this or I can't take my kids here. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's really break it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Has anybody said all those things to you? No. So this is maybe the story you tell yourself. Well, isn't that the only story? No. A lot of the times as a coach, you know, I'm, I'm championing a, 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 an entrepreneur or a solopreneur on their hero's journey. It's not my hero's journey. It's your hero's journey. I'm the guide of your journey. So my job is to help you see things differently, to ask you the probing questions. Ultimately, the journey is yours to take any direction you want to go in. But if you're, you know, think about it, you're going through the mountains and you're going through the woods and you're coming up over a cliff. Well, if, as the, the guide of your journey, I see if you, take another, if you take five more steps forward, you're going to go over the cliff. How do I know that? Because that's what I did. Now, if you go take five steps to the left, maybe a little bit harder steps because you're going to the, you know, going outside of your, your straight and narrow, you'll, you'll live to fight another day. It may not be a, as quickly as exciting as you think it might be as you, you jump off the cliff and hope that you don't crash to the bottom of the rocks. But I'm telling you from experience, that may be a way for you to go differently, but ultimately the choice is yours. And so much of the work I do is so enjoyable because just a lot of massive curiosity questions wrapped around accountability to the decisions the leaders make get them to, to success levels they never thought they'd reach. And the crazy thing is most of us become entrepreneurs or solopreneurs because we don't want a boss. The challenge it becomes, we stink at holding ourselves accountable. That's why they bring in people like me. Mm. Wow. What, what do you think it is in terms of your coaching experience and what you've seen on the entrepreneurial journey? Why do you think people aren't willing to take that step of being self-accountable? Obviously, they've escaped the... They've, maybe they've ditched the nine to five and they're starting to do their own things because they don't want a boss. But then when they, they start their entrepreneurship, they, they realize, oh, I need to do this thing. I need to do that thing. And I know I need to do this. And I know I need to do that. And they don't. Where do you think, where do you think that pattern lies into, the, uh, lies into their journey? So I think a couple of things. One, what we t- there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thought construct that I'm a big fan of. It's called the law of avoidance. And it's by an author named Mark Manson. And Manson talks about in his, in his book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank, um, that the law of avoidance comes from when our, our identity is so tied into something. So he, he uses a story of a friend of his who wants to open an art gallery. And for years, he's talking about opening an art gallery. And another friend of his, says, oh, maybe this is even a better one, a friend of his is talking about writing a book. And in the process of writing the book, he's gotten to the point where he's got the outline done and he's started writing it, but he just can't ever get past like the 30th page or the 40th page. And he's been working on this for years. Well, what, what Manson argues in the law of avoidance is it's safer psychologically for this person to talk about doing something, but to actually take that risk to put that, to, to complete the book, turn it over to an editor, get that what they would consider critical feedback because it, it would shatter their self image. It's much safer psychologically. And it's crazy to, to say, well, you know, it would have been a hit, but I was just too busy or no one would have read it anyways. But I, no, put the book out there and see what happens. It's that risk. They avoid that. It's that law of avoidance. So I just completed, completed my book. It's going to come out in February of 2021. It took me five years to get my book done. I'm on the, the, the book that the people will hopefully read is going to be the eighth version of that book. I've pivoted eight times throughout the course of the book. Um, and when I finally turned it in, uh, my family said, oh my gosh, aren't you excited? Oh, no. Now, like, it's really out there. All of my ideas and my constructs and my teachings and my stories. And 
there is, the world, I, I'm, I'm now laid vulnerable to the world. And that what we have to become comfortable with that sense, that thought process around failure. The other part that, that I think people don't grasp and recognize, so they, one, they practice the law of avoidance. Two, they act like fa- the, the thought process of failure is a real construct. Failure, if, if applied and learned correctly, is just you learned something. I tried it, it didn't work. In the 10 steps that I tried, six worked, four didn't. I'm gonna keep the six that work, get rid of the other four, replace them with something new. That's called learning. I mean, all of us at one point were infants and we couldn't walk. It wasn't like we came running out of our mother's womb and we sprinted across the floor to the doctor. We've had to learn over the course of time. And I don't know anybody in the case of history, maybe one of your listeners will, will email you saying, I walked it with my very first step. That's great. Most of us walked and fell, stood up, walked and fell, stood up, walked and fell. Well, that's what business, we have to do in business. We try something, it doesn't work. There's, I mean, I, I, my book is filled with these stories of these people who just tried different things. I tried different things. To, 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 and you had to learn from them. And it's a slow, satisfying, sometimes stressful, sometimes painful journey that will ultimately lead you to being successful. But you have to recognize that, that failure is a construct. And every step you take on the learning process is another step closer to your success, not just another doom loop of failure. Yeah. I think the, the key piece for me, this is, this is huge, about the learning how to walk analogy is that not only does a baby need to learn how to walk, so they need to obviously fail in order to learn how to succeed, but it's in the falling and getting back up that you build the strength necessary to succeed, to walk. I think that's key because when you're on the ground and you keep falling and building yourself up with that strength, it's the strength of your muscles through your, through your legs, through your, your, your core, your hips, by getting up that you learn how to successfully walk. And I think that's exactly the same with entrepreneurship. It's in the failures where you develop the, maybe the, the unique perspective or the mindset or the emotional resourcefulness that yeah, it takes it, to succeed. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. It's tenacity and resiliency. You know, I'm just tell you a quick story. Uh, in the United States, we have this restaurant chain um, named Kentucky fried chicken founded by a guy named Colonel Sanders. I don't know if you have that down in your neck of the Definitely woods or do. not. Uh, okay. So Colonel Sanders starts Kentucky fried chicken at the age of 63 years old. He wasn't a young guy like you or even a young guy like me. He was like an older guy and he lost his one restaurant for a lot of different reasons. So most of them were beyond his control. There were government issues versus um, he was on a main highway. They moved the highway. He had a a brick and mortar location. It wasn't going to move to the highway. The government diverted the traffic. He lost all of his, his, uh, his drive-by business. So he took his, his, his two assets, his, his social security check, and his chicken recipe, and he started driving around the United States trying to sell franchises of his business. And he started in, in, the, in the central part of the United States, and he started working his way west. He went on so many appointments before he got his first yes. And if you can see me, I have this, this nice sign I share with people from stage. I always ask people, how many, how many appointments do you think he went on? People say, you know, went on 20 appointments. He went on 100 appointments. The reality was he went on, according to his journal, 1,009 sales appointments before he got his first yes. And he learned on every one of those appointments. He learned sometimes that wasn't what he did. But two things he took away that really pivoted his mindset because he wasn't going to be stubborn about it. And by the way, he's driving around the country living in his car. I mean, it's not like he's staying at the, you know, the, the, the Four Seasons or even the Motel 6. 
he's living in his car to, 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 he was so passionate. He was practicing with this grit, this resiliency, this tenacity. So he goes on his 1,009 appointments. He finally closes it. And he, he, he wrote down that I closed it because I was able to make the chicken faster because I went from frying it to pressure, pressure cooking it. And I added salt into my recipe. Yeah. And it took him 1,009 appointments to make these pivots. Boom. Within a couple, within, I think it was like within five years, he had 600 locations. Imagine, I mean, I, I, listen, I, I have res mad respect for a 60-some-year-old guy living in his car, driving around trying to sell. Total, total respect. I'm not sure I could have gone on 1,009 appointments, but he did. Imagine if he quit an appointment at 800, which most people would say, oh, my gosh, you're a warrior. You, you kept going. Just kept going. You kept going. Mm -hmm. So that's resiliency. That's tenacity. That's failing forward. Mm. What do you think gave him that tenacity? What do you think was, uh, what do you think was uh, in his model of the world that allowed him to do that, that maybe someone might be missing or maybe someone might be developing right now that they can, that they can double down on? You know, that's a great question. And, and I don't know. So all I can do is speculate. Um, I think a couple of things come to mind though. Is, and there's a thought process in entrepreneurship called burn the bridges. Um, I do this with my recruiting company. I, for a while, worked in my recruiting business, diversified industrial staffing, and I worked in my coaching and consulting and speaking business, extraordinary advisors. I was kind of living a double life, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Well, uh, talking to somebody that, that I really respect said, you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't have both a wife and a girlfriend. Which do you want? Who are you married to? Who are you committed to? Who are you passionate about? Who, who, who do you love? Well, I, I love my coaching business. I liked, I really liked my recruiting business, but so made the tough decision to burn the ships. I walked away from the recruiting business. I sold that off and I went hundred percent full-time into the, the, the coaching and speaking business, which in my mindset gave me no backup plan. So if I'm Colonel Sanders and I'm driving around, my one restaurant is closed. I have nowhere to go. I'm living in my car. I have no backup plan. I'm living off my social security. I'm cashing my checks as I go around the country. And I'm trying to sell the, the daylights out of this, this, this chicken recipe. I don't have another plan. Um, so I think, there, I think there was that. He, he had no other plan. He was also single. He was divorced. So he had, he had no one else to keep happy, no one else to take care of. I think that's a factor. Um, and, and I think the, the, the third thing, again, this is just gut. It's like he just, he believed in it. He had a belief and he would get enough positive feedback that if I just made a couple of changes, someone might buy it. And he just kept going and going and going and going. Mm. So I'm, I'm assuming people here who want to be successful, first of all, get single. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing I wrote down. No, I, I think, I think you're spot on in terms of, especially the belief. Yeah. You wouldn't go to that many sales calls. You wouldn't go to a thousand and nine, right? You wouldn't even go to 60, right without the without the belief the belief that this can lead to something the belief that the you know it's just around the corner and if you go through a thousand clearly there's the belief like it only just takes one right, right? if he believed it, it's going to take a hundred and he's been on a thousand and he's had zero zero um yeses you wouldn't be going on that next one you he would he would have at some level had that belief like it just takes that one, that one hit, that one go. And it's just reiterating and testing with every, with every, you know, every no that leads to that. Yes. 
a lot of people are probably going through trying to get that yes after five or six, you know? Sure, sure. And, and I think partially too, you know, I, I'm going to guess that he also took feedback from his, his audience. He got feedback from the buyers and well, you know, it was too, it, it took too long to cook. Okay. I got to address that. That's, that's, that's a, a, a blocker to someone saying, yes, I got to find a way to cook it faster. You know, it just doesn't have enough flavor in it. Why don't we, you know, the story is some guy goes, let me, let's bring a recipe in the back and let's add a couple things and see if it gets better. And so that got him on the salt thing. And so, but then he still couldn't cook it fast enough. So he's knocking off the objections to the buy. He's knocking off the objections from the buyer not wanting to purchase what he was selling versus the stubborn person. Yeah. Who says, no, my way is the only way. My way is the only way. This is the only way to do it. We fry it, no salt. Well, had he kept doing that, who knows if he would have, if he would have ever gotten to a yes. Because at that point, the data had told him he had 1,009 no's. So nobody wants to buy your recipe. It's pretty clear. But if you're iterating, you're learning, you're polishing, it's almost like, you know, I think about it, you know, like with my book, I, I did all these different versions. Now the find the last version is going to come out. You, you, you learn it, you read it, you, you, you iterate through it. You know, I, I got, you, you, whether you look at it from an entrepreneurship perspective or even from an art perspective, you know, you look at a, a script for a movie, how many rewrites does it go through? You take a look at the, you know, some classic songs, how many rewrites do they go through? How many different singers do they bring in? All these different things. People had to learn what would work and what wouldn't work. And as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we tell ourselves that everybody else is wrong and I'm right. I know I did that. And we don't take the feedback and absorb it in a way that it creates positivity in regards to change. We, we, our feelings get hurt. We, we beat ourselves up. We blame others. We blame whomever. Um, the, if there's nothing to, to really show that you what you're doing is 100% accurate on in the, in the eyes of the marketplace, you may need to pivot. Mm, totally. I agree. And, I, I want, and it brings me back to what you said before in terms of if someone's not putting something out there, if it's, if they're avoiding doing something, it must be for a reason. It must be some sort needs are met or they feel more safe or they feel more recognition. Cause if someone has a book or someone has a podcast idea or someone's about to launch a Facebook group and they're in that avoidance saying, Oh, I'm going to do this next year. Oh, I can't wait till I'm going to do this. Like who they're speaking to probably gives them some sort of recognition. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Thank Good job on, on thinking of that idea. Good job on going on it. And they get some recognition while remaining safe, you know? Right. Well, and it's that, that safety. I think it's so wise that you, you chose the word safe. I think it's so applicable. We, we will psychologically stay in a space that is, we, we determine as safe but it's not always healthy. And I think there's a, there's a difference in a gap. I mean, people stay in abusive relationships that they tell themselves, well, it's the devil I know versus the devil I don't know. And you know, I, people stay because they need the money. People stay because they, they uh, of family and what have you. The reality is for a lot of people, the, the, the unknown is scary because what happens when we deal with the unknown, we, we, we fill in that gap. And we usually fill that gap in at the 5% ed edges. We either fill it in like, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to be in the, um, in the Forbes 500 or the 5,000 next year. Well, it doesn't work that way. So that's 5% or the other 5% is nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to care. My family thinks I'm stupid. My girlfriend thinks I'm stupid. My husband thinks I'm ridiculous. All the naysayers. So we listen to them when the reality is if we just, if we just take the action from that first action, we will get motivated. That's how the brain works. So we take the action, we get motivated. The motivation is 
Tried 10 things, six worked, four didn't. Okay, now I'm motivated. I'm going to keep the six, move the four, and keep doing it. I mean, that's what we did at Diversify to turn around. We tried a bunch of different things until we landed on a recipe that worked. Um, I think anybody can apply that if they're willing to lean into that uncomfortableness versus shy away from it under the, the false construct of staying safe. Mm. What's, what's the meaning that you give feeling uncomfortable? Oh my gosh, there's so many different versions of it. Um, I've got clients that have a fear of public speaking. They would not show up on your podcast today because in their mind, that's public speaking. And then when I publicly speak, I could say something stupid or I could say something ridiculous. People could make fun of me, all those different things. So that's certainly one way to approach it. Um, the, I think there's so, there, there's so many other ways that we get self-protective and we don't want to put ourselves out there. And it's that risk of being seen as who we really are. Whereas, and a lot of leaders will tell you this, uh, if, if we approach something with authenticity, vulnerability, you know, I call it ATV, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. If we go into the conversation with our teams, so say you're, you know, you're, you're running a five, six person company, for example, small group, um, and you, you don't know all the answers, a lot of people will, will fake it. They'll dodge, they'll duck. No, hey, listen, Tyson, John, Jane, Sue, we're all going to get together. Here are the list of issues the company has. What do you all think? Well, Todd, what do you think? You know, guys, if I had all the answers, I would have already made some decisions. I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks. Leaders speak last. I want to hear what everybody else thinks. Let's talk around the room. Let's, get it. let's whiteboard this thing out and let's come up with some ways to solve whatever these problems are. And what, it, what, it, what that does is it creates a psychologically safe work environment. Uh, Google's done a lot of research on this. They, they practice it in, in, the, in their facilities. When, when employees or, or teammates or independent contractors or, or, or whomever we're interacting with to grow our businesses feel that, that they're seen and they're heard, they can share their opinions and ideas, and, and they have a, a voice in the room, but not necessarily a seat at the table, but a voice in the room that creates a, a, a more of a team atmosphere, more of a safe atmosphere versus yeah, I don't want to say anything because that crazy Todd guy is going to shoot me down. He's going to yell at me. I'm going to feel like an idiot. And I'm going to go home and tell my, you know, my kids about my day. And my boss yelled at me because my idea was ridiculous. That's creating an, uh, that's, that, that's the exact opposite of what we want to do. Where I'm like working with this company right now. I said, you know, let's put out all your ideas on a board. And what we do is we put you know, like 30 ideas. We took a little bit of idea number six and a little bit of idea number nine and idea number 20, put a little sprinkle of idea number two and came up with a brand new process. We took all these pieces and put it together. Had we censored any of those ideas, maybe they wouldn't have come out. Mm. That's creating a psychologically safe work environment. Yeah. And, and even those who are listening who might not have, uh, you know, a, a team or someone who, you know, an office they go to where they're going to bring up these sort of things. What resonates clearly is that if you're putting content out there, if you're doing a podcast or you're doing uh, videos or you're doing certain posts, if you're putting yourself out there, you're putting your heart out there. Like you say, being authentic, being transparent, especially, and being vulnerable is opening up that space for you to feel free, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's not that barrier. There's not that, uh, you know, block of saying, I need to know all the answers and everything that I say needs to be coming out and delivered in the perfect amount of words in the perfect way with the perfect structure, and if you give yourself that flexibility and open space to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to be authentically you, then 
people will feel that, right? People will feel that in your content and, and as your audience. Um, that would be my question. What was going through your mind when you released this book that's coming out in six weeks? If you have, you know, if, if you have this voice that says, oh my God, all my stories are out there. You know, I'd love to know the thoughts in your head and then also the meaning that, you're, that you give it and, and especially why you put it out there. Sure. So the first thing I do is I'm going to, I'm going to tell the world, Hey, this, this is, this is me being real. This is me being authentic. I mean, I'm putting it it, uh, for me, a book is kind of a, I call it a headstone moment. It's going to live beyond me. And when you, you know, when you name it, like I did, I'm calling it, you know, from suck to success, an extraordinary guide to entrepreneurship. And in there, I, I, I tell my story and other stories of people who, who really are real people. They're not just constructs or that. You know, yeah, I tell the Colonel Sanders story of the book. Yeah, he's deceased. I got that. But a lot of these people are still alive and they showed up to help me write this book. They showed up for me to help others learn from our stories because I think, I think people have a really good BS detector. And when they're being sold something or they're being pushed some idea or pushed some construct from somebody who's never been there, done that, in my case, survived it, then it doesn't land as much. Whereas if I say, hey, listen, I don't have all the answers. This is really what worked well for me. Take what works for you. Get rid of the rest. I think that lands quite, quite well with people. And, and I find the feedback I've gotten from my, my coaching clients, I gave them all preview copies of the book, is it, it really resonates with them. And it, it, they want to share it with people. And I believe that when people share something, it's, it's not only they want to share the, the message in the book, but also when I, you know, when, I, when I refer something or I hand something over like a book, it's a statement of who I am. And if I believe in the book and I share it with you, Tyson, and you get value out of it, you share it with somebody else, then it kind of creates a groundswell. And that's really my hope for the book is that, you know, people will find value in it. Value is going to be so subjective to them. Um, and, but ultimately I think, and I believe, and I've experienced that you can create a life by design of work-life integration that allows you to have your own definition of success, whatever that means to you. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the work you do kind of resonates around that. And it, it helps people get to that, that world they want to have without, you know, from my generation, generations previous, you know, to be successful, uh, you know, I'm the first one in, I'm the last one out and I, and I sacrifice my family and I sacrifice my health and I, sa- I sacrifice all these things to get a title on the door or to get a six figure income or whatever I'm going for. And then when I get it and I look back on all that I sacrificed, I really question why I did it. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just put all of that out there, have people take a look at it. I mean, there's eight chapters in the book, four of them are just on mindset and how, we have to learn to be authentic, how there's the, the, our four-step process, how we deal so much with intention, not expectation, and then we pivot into practical steps and how to apply it to your world. At the end of each chapter, there's, there's little, little snippets of homework you can do to get yourself unstuck, but maybe holding you back, whether it's professional or, or, or personal. And you know, I, I invite people who are interested to check it out so that they can hopefully get just uh, like one or two good ideas. I mean, that's when we speak from stage, they always say, listen, people are going to you're up there for an hour. They remember two to three things you say. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I want to tap into that. You said that there's a four step formula, especially for, um, for failing forward, failure forward. Yeah. Leadership. Uh, let's, let's, let's dive into that. So people can have some, some tangible takeaways or some steps. They, they might oh, for sure. I'd love to into their life. Yeah. So for me, I, ca- I call it our E4 process, the letter E, the number four. Um, and it's kind of like what I, it's the same process I use to get out of debt in the business. So, identify from a mindset perspective as a leader, what's not working for you. So for me, being a rugged individualist was not working for me anymore. 
chasing just revenue and not margin was not working for me anymore. So I needed to come up with a, a, a new strat, a new idea. So I created an intention around, because so the things that weren't working got me into debt. So the debt's the, thing, the problem I want to solve. And attacking it the old way didn't work. Second step is to take a, a, an intentional mindset, not an expectational mindset around that. So I have this debt problem. I need to come up with ways around uh, to get out of that debt, ideally to get paid faster and get paid more to accelerate the debt payment structure and get out of debt quicker. I don't know how to do that yet, but that's my intention. Versus my expectation is the only way I'm going to get out of debt is if I sell X widget for Y price for Z profit. That's the only way. And we're just going to keep driving that, hitting that hammer or, or hitting that screw with a hammer until we drive it through the wood. And that's not, that didn't work for me real well. More creative mindset. So then we created a strategy, the third step to that intention, which ties to that, that mindset shift. The strategy was around, we, we started trying a bunch of different things when we were talking to prospective customers and current clients about what their needs were, how we could help them. And we identified this, uh, this space below the surface of temporary help and staffing in the manufacturing space in the United States where there was an increased demand and a diminished supply. And so we would say to our clients and prospects, if I find this unicorn candidate that you can't find on your own, would you take him? Yes, I would. You do, and I, we, then we'd say, well, you know, he's going to cost more than the average person. Yeah, yeah, we, we need them. They're, they're, they're like gold. They're rare. We've, yes, we'll pay more for that. Oh, how much more? And we started working on that. Then we decided that you know, our days outstanding were 90 to 120 days. We need to get that down under 30 days. So we pulled back 14 days. And why did we pick 14 days? Because people in the United States get paid either weekly or biweekly. So either get paid in seven days or 14 days. Put my client, my check in the same check run. And what they said is, okay. Awesome. So that was, so that, and it just kept working. We just kept doing that over and over. And it took us a couple of years to figure all these little bite-sized pieces out. But if we just got fixated on one thing and we, and we didn't have intention versus expectation, we didn't create a strategy around that intention and we didn't take massive action around that strategy, we never would have gotten out of debt. So again, just to kind of recap it for everybody, it's, it's identify the mindset that's not working for you and the result that it created Set an intention, not an expectation of what do you want to see happen. Create a strategy to that intention. Take and create a plan. Then the fourth step is, you know, bring in outside resources, bring in other employees, bring in independent contractors, bring in a coach. Iterate, pivot through that, learn from it, repeat, and go, take, always go through the loop. And every day, we used to literally have meetings on this, I kid you, every morning at 8.30 in the morning, we would go through the same loop every single day. What did you learn? What didn't work? All right, what's our, what's our new goal? How can we, and we just did it every single day for about three years. Wow. People who are listening, who are growing their own businesses online can see where this will serve them because whether it be in your, in your content, in your niche, in your offer, not only does it take some testing and reiterating, but it is always a loop. It's always uh, evolving where if you were to evolve and reiterate your mindset, that's going to shift the content that you're going to create. And obviously the, you know, the value that you're giving to the world, if that's meeting a need, then it'll grow. If it's not, and, it does, and there's no market demand for it, it's not going to grow. And so testing and tweaking and getting feedback from your, from your uh, audience, your customers, your prospects is key. Once you have that, once you have that formula of what the market wants, Testing and reiterating on your actual offer is what some people aren't willing to do. 
But once you test on your offer, let's say you have a six week program and you have, you find out the need, you have people go through your program, you test and tweak. It's like, this is what helped them get this result. This is what didn't, this is what they wanted. This is what they didn't. This is what, you know, helped make, you know, leverage my time. And this is what didn't. And then you just go back around the, the cycle, right? And you go back around the cycle of testing and tweaking. And that's sort of similar to what you're presenting here of what you did in terms of not only mindset, but also learning and implementing a, a strategy and then testing and tweaking along the way. And then at the end, building in resources and, and things that you can add on to it. Um, so no doubt, it's just the mindset and the intent of consistently putting it out there, reiterating and really having no attachment to the outcome, just simply observing and, 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 and reiterating. I call it the serving scientist. It's like being a scientist yeah. from a place of service. It's like nice. no nice. expectation, just getting out there, testing and tweaking because I'm here to serve. Yeah, and, I um, love that. I love that. Could be the title of your next book. Maybe. Serving we will see. We'll this is uh, patent pending. We'll, we'll put it in the uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but that's great. I love these sort of tips. I love these strategies. I love these these mindset uh, adjustments. Is there anything else that you feel intuitively the audience needs to know and and can implement in order to in order to grow their business the way they want in order to do it in a way that's aligned? What's flowing What's flowing through you at the moment? Uh, two things. One. Anybody who's listening, I would always challenge you to can you continue to focus on being a lifelong learner. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck thinking they've figured it all out at certain points for whatever reason. Um, and that's really, I find that to be a very much a, a big falsehood is that you, you think you've got, you've cracked the code and then you stop working. Well, then as soon as you do that, it's like the wind goes out of your sails. So continually learn, listen to more podcasts, listen to different speakers buy books, Do, keep, keep feeding your brain because you just never know where that one good idea is. And I know, uh, um, you know one of my favorite uh, entrepreneurs here in the United States is a guy named Mark Cuban. He reads three to four hours a day looking for that one good idea or that one mindset shift. So if it's good enough for a guy in a short tank, it's probably good enough for most of us. And the second thing I would challenge anybody to do is um, entrepreneurship can be very lonely, I think, my experience. And an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. Find a tribe whether it's a, a mastermind community, whether it's like an EO or a YPO, depending on the size of your organization, whether it's, you know, getting a coach, whether it's getting together with a bunch of, of like-minded individuals so that you're, you, you know, when you're a solopreneur specifically, a lot of your time is spent between in the six inches between your ears. You're in there having your board meeting with yourself, trying to solve problems in a vacuum. Whereas if you can, you can connect with others, find other, other people to, to communicate with, connect with, and, and share some of your, your successes, certainly, let's share our successes, but also some of your challenges, some of your struggles. That, that, that community of learners out there, can, I think, can pay huge dividends. I mean, I just did this last night. So I'm in a community of, 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 C, of CEOs, both active and retired. So Christmas is coming up, and I, we bought our daughter an iPhone. For, she's 12. I am freaking out. It's more stressful than almost any other business deal I've ever done because I just think it's you know opening up the world to her. So I put a message out to this group I'm part of saying, how many of you, have any of you ever, I, I call it an experience share. Any experience shares around giving your kids a phone in a safe, effective, productive, and, and 
caring way where they feel they feel empowered and not shamed and guilted, but also realize this is a, a, a powerful device for both good and for evil, something like that. I, I woke up this morning, I had 17 different responses, a bunch of great ideas. Most of them I had never thought about versus being in my, my, my little tiny brain here, in my little channel, looking at it just one way of like, I just don't want the, uh, you know, the, the, our child to, to, to be corrupted. So, I, so I, my point is, not only do I suggest you all do that, I practice what I preach. Yeah. Was it 17 messages of everyone saying, don't do it? <laughs> all right. Well, because, so that's, a, you know, that's honestly a great, a great question because I put the word experience share. I wasn't looking for an opinion. I only wanted to hear from people who had actually done it. Now you get the guy, well, I did it this way and it was a nightmare and you shouldn't do it. I mean, he does work, you know, the, the person works their way there, but I didn't want that because we already decided we were going to do that. So how can we do it safely? How can we support her? How can we put the proper guardrails in place? Mm. And uh, like I said, so, so tomorrow I got three hours booked on my calendar to set up all the, the gadgets and gizmos and protection pieces so that when we give it to her in a couple of days, she's in, able to enjoy it immediately because you know, she's a kid. She wants instant gratification, just like most entrepreneurs. And you know, I, I don't want to have to then take it back and then spend Christmas Day putting this thing together. So just the power of the tribe was a really great service to me. Wow. So she's getting an iPhone. She's got Todd Palmer right by her side. How long is it going to take her to build an online business? Uh, well, that'll be interesting. So, so I've got an 11 year old, a 12 year old, and I've got a 29 year old. And my 29 year old is a CPA. God love him. He's actually strongly looking at different options to either start a side hustle. So he's got a great job, great company, or maybe someday he'll even go into entrepreneurship and, and we had a conversation recently. I said, do, do you remember how bad it was when they were going to take the house and the debt and everything else? And, and here's what he told me for the parents who struggled at how much they may suck. Um, he's like, no, I don't remember most. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was, but, he was, but I read about it in your book. That sounds awful. <laughs> I'm just dying. <laughs> you're, like, you're like up at night and worrying. They're just, oh, everything's fine. You know? You got it. You'll be fine. Yeah. No. I'll work on this, man. Man, that's awesome. I love the perspective. And that's just what we can sort of, you know, we, we feel within our, within our families and everything like that. Everyone's got different perspectives, but sometimes we play these stories in our head. Like, Oh yeah. This is something that's, you know, going to scar them for life or it's something that they're going to, you know, regret or I'm not setting them up for, for success, whatever it may be. And then later down the track, you, they're like, Oh, I didn't even realize that happened. I didn't even, wasn't thinking too much about it, you know? And, um, it just really goes to show the stories in our heads can't, can't truly be trusted 100% of the time, hey? Oh, that, that, that is a, a, a great point. They, they, we're never as great as we think we are and we're never as bad as we think we are as parents or as entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's always, always the in-between. Uh, but like I said, as long as when the, when the focus is towards service, when the focus is towards contribution, you know, me personally, I don't mind sucking every now and then. You know, I don't mind sucking... 90, 95% of the time, but if it's, if that 5% leads to an aspect of, of growth or development that I know I need, and it's with the intention that I'm, I'm here to serve and I'm here to give at a deeper level, then that's what I'm willing to do. And I, I feel the same thing for you, my friend, in terms of your, your journey and especially the, the ups and downs you've been on, you wouldn't be going through that especially through the identity shifts and everything that, you know, rocks our psyche. If it wasn't because of a, 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 
a human need and a, and a true inspiration to serve and to contribute. So I thank you for the journey you've been on, the inspiration you, you, you are, and I'd love to give you the space to share with our audience how they can connect with you if they want to get to know you and your content a bit deeper. Oh, well, thank you so much. So anybody who's, who's found value in our, our conversation, and I really think there was a lot of nuggets and think, I think that Tyson did a great job of taking it kind of through the conversation. Um, if anybody heard anything that, that really landed and resonated with them, whether you're a solopreneur, heck, whether you're a parent trying to set up an iPhone, um, please reach out to me. I can be reached at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. My website, ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. Um, if you forget my name, go in there, the contact us section. And I'm happy to give anybody, anybody in the world 30 minutes of my time for free to talk about what's got you stuck, what your doom loop is, what your itty-bitty negative committee is telling you to get you unstuck. Uh, if you have business issues, I'm happy to work through those with you. Um, you know, uh, I, I just helped somebody recently deal with their, their kids living in their shadow. And the, 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 the son said to the father, it's like, you're a successful entrepreneur, but you're really not a successful dad. It gets very cold in your shadow. When am I going to be as, as important as your business? So in a coaching that I do in the life by design work that I help people create, I, you know, I touch on a lot of subjects. So I'm happy to have that confidential conversation with anybody who reaches out. Uh, I guess the other thing I'd say to you is my, my book comes out February of 2021. It'll be on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, and the title is from, from suck to success, a guide to extraordinary entrepreneurship. And, and I'm really excited about the first page of it because it literally defines what an extraordinary life looks like. Beautiful. I love it. Is there anything else that you want to share that would make this conversation feel complete for the, the listeners who have been going through this, uh, the journey of the last hour or so? You know, I, I think for me, if you, if you're an entrepreneur, I, I, I tip my hat to you. It's not a, it's not always a, a, a happy road, but it can be a satisfying road. And, and I go back to take a look at, you know, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. Get, get the support help and, and the network you need. And, you know, every time you think you want to quit, just think of our, our 67 year old friend, Colonel Sanders driving around in, in his uh, Studebaker in the fifties and sixties, trying to sell his chicken recipe in a thousand nine, nine appointments he went on and ask yourself, what are you so passionate about in your life? What are you so passionate about in your business that you would go out and do a thousand nine times and be told no? Mm. Then you're on to something because that's really, when we have purpose and passion, we will push through anything. Oh, I get goosebumps for that question. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, what are you passionate about that would lead you to want to do that? And it'll lead you to go through over a thousand uh, appointments. That's crazy. And people can yeah. feel some ideas flow through go on a brainstorm and just jot down what are you passionate about? What are the things that are you, that you're inspired by that would lead to you going down the same route that, uh, that led to the, the KFC chain, you know, and, and to, you know, rock and roll with some, with something inspiring of your own. Well, Todd, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. i love the tips and tricks that you've given here. A lot of value in this and definitely people are going to want to reach out and, uh, and, and, not only reach out on your website, but suss out your book as well in February. No doubt I'll put the, the links in the show notes so people can easily do that. But man, thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. It was a, a joy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate you. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Awaken Your Business podcast. If you're a heart-centered business owner, you know that selling, marketing, and business strategy can bring up a lot of fear, doubt, and scarcity. And this is why I created the community on Facebook called The Serving Circle. It's in here where you get to grow your business as a byproduct of asking the question, how may I serve? It's on our weekly Zoom collaborative calls 
where you get to surf by meeting like-minded people and organizing collaboration, service exchanges, and partnerships so together we can heighten consciousness through business success. So just search The Serving Circle in your Facebook groups and you'll see that you're just one heartfelt collaboration away from reaching your biggest business goal. Take care now.